Okay, weird question, but hang with me here. Uh, If you could be any plant, what would you be? I mean, it can be kind of a fun exercise, right? You think about the different things, you know, maybe you're more like a a rose bush or a tomato plant or raspberry bush. I mean, let's be honest, a few of you are more like dandelions or, you know, cacti, right? All kinds of different, but if if you could choose, if you could pick any plant to be like, what would you be? I mean, a tree, right? I mean, who, who wouldn't? Of course, I would absolutely pick a tree. Who wouldn't want to be a tree? Except that I, I said this this past week to my son, David, um, and his response, he said, Dad, I don't, I don't want to be a tree. It's like, what? Why? Why wouldn't you want to be? I mean, I just love, why would you want to be a tree? Well, trees can't eat cheeseburgers, Dad. Like, okay, I mean, that's a compelling argument, I suppose. But now, we're, this is a metaphor, okay? A metaphor But I would want to be a tree, a tree flourishing and strong, beautiful and and growing. I mean, this this incredible picture. I love trees. I mean, in six years, no, four years, I've planted six trees on our little tiny suburban lot. I mean, another decade, we're going to have a forest. It's getting out of control, quite honestly. But I love trees. I mean, ancient cultures, you know, they used to worship trees. I get that. I mean, I, I've never done it before, but, but I can understand, if you didn't know better, think about it. What is bigger, stronger, more beautiful, longer lasting than a majestic tree? I love trees. It kind of reminds me of the Ents from Lord of the Rings, right? You remember those guys, Treebeard, right? The tree people. I want to, to be the tree. And, and the tree is such a common metaphor in Scripture for the good life the life of of flourishing, the life that we're desperate for, that we all long for, no matter who you are or where you've been, we long for this life that's described like a tree. And so often in scripture, when that's done, it's done in comparison. There's the tree, strong and flourishing, and then there's something else, something that's just sort of worthless, empty, just the, the leftovers, I don't want to be the chaff. I want to be the tree. I want my life to matter, to endure, to bear fruit, to be something beautiful and worthwhile like a tree. And how about you? What what do you want to be? What about right now, even at this very moment? Don't just think about some time later on in the future, but imagine right now God looking down on you right at this moment. How would he describe you? Would you be a tree or a dandelion? Those are the options. I mean, isn't there something like in the middle, right? We, we always long for that middle way, don't we? I mean, that's just how we're wired. We, we, we know we're not quite you know, tree-level awesome. Uh, But we don't want to be a weed either, right? We long for that middle something. But Scripture so rarely gives us a middle anything, right? It's, It's almost always two paths, two options, two metaphors. It's either the good life or the wicked life. It's either the life that pleases God and leads to flourishing, or it's the life that leads to withering and pleases no one, not even ourselves, really, ultimately. Those were the options laid out for us back when we were in Deuteronomy, right, looking at the law 
Moses charted out these two paths for Israel. And these are the same paths that we see before us here in Psalm chapter 1. Now today marks our first of five Sundays looking at the the poetic section of the Old Testament. If you've been reading with us, I I hope that you have. I mean, especially now in this moment. I mean, I just, I love the poetry section of of Scripture. Uh, If you haven't jumped in or if you've fallen off the wagon, this is a great time to get back into it. Um, We're reading one, if you don't know, we're reading one chapter a day all year long through these various portions of Scripture as as we tell this entire story cover to cover on Sunday mornings. But the goal is really about the reading. And poetry is different. I mean, some of us, right, if you're still engaged in the reading plan, we've been reading it the last uh, week or so, and it just feels different, doesn't it? It's not just about the, the facts and the details. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but poetry is about the emotion. It's about the beauty, the, the word pictures that sort of draw us in like little else. I love this section of Scripture. It grabs us. And maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm not really much of a poetry person. Um, I get it, but I don't really believe it, honestly, uh, because almost all of us love music, don't we? I mean, music is our culture's form of poetry, and we love it. And most of these Old Testament poems were originally set to music. They're songs for us. And there's no better place to begin talking about this body of wisdom literature than in Psalm chapter 1. It's a remarkable little psalm. And, and because psalms are different, poetry is different, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning as well. Instead of sort of the normal sermon outline, right, uh, we're going to try to actually, I'm going to try, you're going to watch, I guess, try to sort of chart out what, what is happening here in this story as, as we go to kind of picture what, what's going on. Because Poems don't like to be outlined, right? They're, they're much more organic than that. They're about the, the mood and the feel, and so they don't, they don't follow necessarily a linear progression. So we're going to try to try to draw it out a little bit. Kids, if you're taking notes on the sheet, uh, maybe try to draw out your own version of this diagram, right, of, of what is happening here in this text. Plus, it gives me a chance to show off my awesome art skills. Wait to be impressed here. Okay, so this, this is you, Okay. This is me. This is every one of us, okay? Here in this moment, that's us. And, and right now, at this moment, no matter who you are, where you've been, we all stand in front of two paths. There's two ways that we can go. And there's a way that leads to flourishing. And a way that leads to withering. Leads to being like a tree or being a little bit more like a dandelion. And so Psalm 1 here, as it gives us this option, this picture of being this this tree, it's laid out in the song in three verses or stanzas, okay? So we'll kind of chat through those. There's one, two, three as we go along, as we we look at these these two paths. And so we'll talk about them in, in this section here as we move forward on this song, on this, on this journey. And it's all about this, this tree, this idea. That's kind of the center metaphor. And so as we, as we look first, a tree needs soil. A tree is fruitful. 
and a tree endures. That's, that's really kind of where we're, we're going as we talk through this together. We'll add more to that as we, as we go. But first of all, in this quest for all of us to really be the tree, to walk down this path, um, first, a tree needs soil, right? Just kind of makes sense, right? Here we have, have a beautiful tree. It doesn't matter how beautiful it is, how healthy it looks. If this tree stays here, you know, in its little tiny root ball, it's going to die. There's just no option for it. It's got to be planted somewhere. It doesn't matter how good it looks. It needs soil. And it doesn't it just need soil. It needs good soil. It needs soil where it can, it can flourish and get the nutrients that it needs and truly be able to grow. Now, the metaphor of the tree doesn't actually come out in Psalm 1 until that second stanza, right, in, in verse 3. But verses 1 and 2, the first stanza, really describe the, the soil that this tree longs for. Let's read these words. Psalm 1, beginning in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Okay, so right here we've got the two paths, right, laid out for us, described here in this moment. Uh, We've got the two different kinds of soils. It's two options here. And it says, blessed is the man, the one, right, man, woman, teenager, child, blessed is anyone who takes this particular path. And even that word blessed, right? We don't use that very often. And when we do, we usually use it as a synonym for lucky, don't we? I mean, that's kind of how we mean I'm so blessed, you know. Uh, but the idea in the Old Testament, right, in the Hebrew, it's, yeah, it's blessed as, as, as God's provision, but it's more than that. It carries with it the idea of happy, of, of satisfied, of fulfilled. It's happy is the one who takes this path. That this is the one that's satisfied. And by contrast, it's saying unhappy is the one who goes this way. So what's the first stop on this route here in this first part? It's the things or the people that influence us, that, that provide our, the soil, the nutrients. It's, it's where we live. It's where our hearts dwell, right? And even look at the pro- pro- uh, progression again in, in verse 1 here. Uh, I think we've, we've got another slide here, but it says walking, right, through the crowd of the wicked, to actually standing there in the way of sinners, to then sitting down there in the crowd of the scoffers. There's a, there's a progression. And scoffers are the, the mockers. They don't just sin. They, they love to sin. That's, that's the idea. So this, this soil, the first soil option given here is the crowds, the people around us. Let me draw them in here. You like that? Okay, so that's kind of the crowd. That's, that's soil one, option one. And, and what the psalmist is saying is happy is the one who avoids these guys. Okay, you following that? that that's, that's, that's step sort of one here in this, in this psalm. Happy is the one who avoids these guys. Now, the psalmist isn't telling us to just simply, you know, avoid everyone who thinks differently or lives differently than us, who we think is unacceptable. Of course, we're going to still work with and live with and be friends with people who view the world very differently than we do, right? I mean, it's, it's inevitable that we're going to interact with those who see things differently and live differently, But the difference is we don't walk in their advice, right, in their counsel. We don't stand alongside them in their paths, and we don't sit under their influence. 
Of course we're going to interact with sinners, right? Just look around. It's, it's inevitable. Even, even here, right, in, in the midst of church, it's not a question of interaction. It's a question of where this tree is going to get planted. It's where is it going to find its home? Where, where are those roots going to be able to begin sucking things out of the ground to provide either life or death for this tree? Will we plant it here? Or will we plant it here? As the story continues, or as the psalm continues, planting it here in the law, he says, in the word of the Lord. Because the contrast to to letting the crowds be our influence is there in verse 2. It says, instead, the happy one, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight. And on his law, he meditates day and night. I mean, if you were to ask me what what I delight in, you know, what gives me pleasure, I'd come up with a whole long list, right? All of us would. Friends, family, laughter, food, rest, play. I mean, all of those things. They quickly come to mind. The Bible? I mean, we, we read it, right? We talk about it on Sundays. We, we try to periodically dust it off, right, to, to get it. But delight? The psalmist says, happy is the one, satisfied is the one who lives here whose pleasure is found here. And I can't even hardly keep up with the one chapter a day open here, right? Anybody else feel a bit guilty? It says day and night he meditates on it. The Hebrew word for for meditate literally means to mumble it out, to, to repeat it both verbally and mentally over and over and over and over again. I mean, back then, right, they didn't have their own copy of the Bible. People didn't carry around the scrolls, right, all individually. They had, they had to, met, if they were going to know it and understand it, they had to do this. And yet, even for us, when, when's the last time we've really just sat down and meditated on it? To repeat it over and over until it becomes the all-consuming background noise of our lives, always in our mind, Every decision, every action, every attitude filtered through God's word. These are the soils. So where are you planted? I mean, think about that right now. If you, you know, where, where do you live? Where is your influence? I think many of us, if we're honest, we'd probably want to say, actually, well... I'm still this guy, right? We kind of like that. It feels a little bit more neutral. It's like, well, I'm not really, honestly, I'm not really here, and, but I don't, I'm not really here. We want to be this guy. But according to this book, this guy, this place, this doesn't even exist, right? I mean, this is just a drawing here. According to this story, we are either planted here or here. That's it. Those are the options, and so where are your roots? What are you planted in? Think about that. I mean, if, if we're going to be the tree, we've got to be planted up, up here. So how about a little self-examination? Ask, ask yourself, where or what or whom are my, are my primary influencers in my life? You know, if you were to write down five major influences in your life, family, friends, entertainment, just culture, I mean, what, what, would, it, what would it be? Who influences you? Where do you turn for answers? 
or for advice when you're in trouble or need something? Who determines what you believe about money or sex or success? Who decides what you value, who you date, what you buy? And really the question comes down to is, is who's the authority in your life? That's, that's the real question. At the end of the day, who calls, who calls the shots? I mean, when you come across something in this book that you don't like, which we all do, right? Something that ugh, just makes us feel wrong or guilty or whatever. When you come across something in this book you don't like, who wins that argument? Do you win that argument, or does this book win the argument? Who's the authority? I mean, many of us, if, if we're honest, this down here, that's the soil in which we live. But happy is the one, it says. I mean, do we, do we even believe that, Right? Do do we actually believe that this here, this provides the pathway to a flourishing life, to the life that we long for, the best kind of life, the happiest, most sad? Do we really believe that, first of all? And if so, what what are you doing to foster a love of this book? To grow in it. I know it's hard, right? I spent a lot of time in this book. Believe me, I know it's hard. It's a discipline. This book is difficult. It confronts us. It's challenging. It's, it's old, and yet it continues to speak. It's a, it's a hard place to live, and yet, what are we doing to foster that love? I mean, I mean really, the, the reason we're doing this open here thing, right, the, the Bible in a year, it's not about the sermons, right? We said that right away, but I want to remind us, it's not about doing this on Sunday mornings, getting through. The goal of what we're doing with open here is to get as many people as possible daily in this book. And we think the sermons are a tool to help us get daily in this book. We love this book. As a church, it's, it's something that, I mean, it's one of our, our core values, right? That we believe the Bible reveals God's design for all of life. And fostering a love here, it doesn't just happen. It takes great intentionality and hard work to do it on your own as a family, to grow in making church a priority, right, where we teach it weekly or, or join it into a small group where you can talk about what it looks like to actually live these things out, to build our lives upon it, to, to obey it, to meditate on it. It's a weird thought, isn't it, this idea of meditate? Because we don't, we don't really meditate on anything, not in, in our culture anymore. I mean, when's the last time you've ever just sort of sat down to think about something, right? We, we don't do it. We're, we're too busy, too rushed with everything. And yet at the same time, we're, we're always meditating on something. You can't shut it off, right? There's always something percolating in our minds. What are we meditating on? What's that self-talk that's, that's going on over and over, that voice in our head? What, what is it? Happy is the one whose life looks like a tree. Oh, yeah, okay. Nathan, I buy it, sure, fine. I just don't have time. I know, it's hard, right? We live in a very rushed world, and yet at the same time, I don't think our problem is time. Because you, I always have time for the things that I believe are going to make me happiest. I always have time for the things that I believe are going to keep me alive. Always. I mean, without fail. Our, our problem isn't primarily a lack of time. Our problem is that we don't believe Psalm 1. We don't actually believe that this is the path, that this is the soil in which our lives will flourish.
flourish. How do we get started here? A few ideas. I mean, maybe, maybe carry a verse around in your pocket for a while. A verse that's particularly important to you at a moment. Instead of, you know, like, like me, anytime I'm bored, waiting in line, I get out my phone, right? That's just kind of what we do now. Maybe instead get out the card with the verse. Or maybe write a, write a verse on, on your bathroom mirror so it's the first and last thing you see every day. You can meditate and brush your teeth at the same time, right? Most of us can, I think. It's not that hard. Or maybe start memorizing portions. Maybe memorize Psalm 1. I know a lot of you have done that with our, our Razor's Edge discipleship, right? Memorizing Psalm 1, but that's a great place to begin. Six little verses. It's a poem, so it's fairly easy to memorize, to let these words wash over us. I mean, everyone wants to be the tree, don't we? But you can't be the tree without good soil. It just doesn't happen. Well, on to stanza two here, okay? Stanza two. Because here, here the metaphor continues and really gets into fruition. So yeah, a tree needs soil. It needs good soil. Uh, but a tree is also fruitful. It's just part of the definition of being a tree. A tree. Let's begin again reading in verse one. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. And so stands it too, we've, we've, we've got... A couple more images, right? It's really, again, where the tree is. So you've got the fruitful tree. Right? Not a very good tree, but you get the idea, right? And there's fruit on it compared to the chaff. We'll talk more about the chaff in a moment, but the chaff is just, it's the nothing. It's the whatever's left over. It's not anything that anybody wants. And so you've got these, these two sort of paths gathered together, these, these two metaphors. But let's, let's talk about the tree for a moment. Because we've got to locate our, ourselves. Where, where is Psalm 1 written? Let me think about it for a moment. Israel, right? Uh, the Middle East, which you know is a desert, right? I mean, trees are, are precious in the Middle East. Homes, at least back then, were almost never built out of wood. I mean, it just wasn't, it was unheard of. I mean, trees were, were rare. They were a precious commodity, something that people would long for. And last year, for example, we were, as a family, we went to, to Arizona and to Utah, desert. And I was regularly stunned by the lack of life everywhere. I mean, people don't have yards in Arizona, right? If you don't like mowing the grass, move there. All they have literally is just rocks. That's it. Their yards are nothing but rocks. And there are no trees. The only way you have a tree in that climate is if you have irrigation or, you know, it's by an oasis or you have sprinklers. I mean, that, that's it. Those are the options. Trees don't happen. And so the psalmist is saying that happy is the one, right, rooted here because he is like a tree, but not just any tree. A tree in the middle of the desert and yet a tree that is planted by this stream of water. And it's because of that stream, right? This book, right? The soil is always fertile. It's always moist. The tree has everything it could ever need. Its leaf is always green. It bears its fruit in its season. Whatever it does is prosperous and beautiful. 
It's the life we long for. And this is the inevitable consequence of being well-rooted. It's not like God is saying here, if you do this, then I'll do this. You know, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. God God doesn't work like that. It's much more like if you do this, if you root yourself here, this is just sort of the inevitable consequences of living this kind of life. Because when we live according to this book, according to this design, his design for us, it's just the place where we flourish most. We, we make good decisions. We, we live outside of ourselves, right, for others. We work hard. We love abundantly. And that, we know, that's just the good life. It's the life we long for. This soil is for our flourishing. That's why we delight in this book. We don't just paste a fake smile onto our face, right, trying to fake God out. It's not how it works. It's because this book gives the best direction for the good life, the life that that we're desperate for. I mean, just think of the joys that we could have and the hurts that we could avoid individually, as a society, in our families, if only we obeyed this book. I mean, it's planned for money, sex, relationships, family, work. I mean, life is simply better lived here. And it's not that this tree just has it easy all the time, okay? I mean, you might think that. It's like, well, of course it's going to be fine. It's, life is fine. But we know better than that. Life is hard, don't we? I, I love what the prophet Jeremiah adds to this metaphor. Because he picks up on it as well later on. And it shows that it's not just a simple, easy life. Listen to what Jeremiah writes. He says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its, out its roots by the stream. So same idea there. Then he adds to it, and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heat still comes. I mean, the the drought still happens, and yet this tree is able to remain firm because it's rooted by these streams of water. It's not that life is somehow just easy and magical all the time. It's that we still have exactly what we need for all things. And kids, I say this all the time. Your parents probably say it to you all the time, right? Don't we, as parents, we say, you know, the reason we give you rules, right? It's for your good. It's for your protection. Don't you? I mean, we explain that, right? We want you to flourish, kids. We want you to be like a tree, to be beautiful and strong. We, we long for that as parents for our kids. Kids, you get tired of, of hearing it. I know you do. But that's, that's the truth. And yet we, as grown-ups we so quickly forget that that's exactly what God says to us. Here are these rules, not to stifle us, not to push us down, but to give us the the land in which we can run free and safe and protected. It's so that we can be like a tree, beautiful and strong. And when we don't, it says that the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. That's the opposite of fruitfulness. I mean, chaff, it's what's left over, right, after the, the wheat is, is separated out. When you, when you have wheat, right, you want the, the berries. All right, that's, that's in here, this top part. Okay? And so farmers would, would take the, the wheat, and, I mean, they would eventually use machines, but essentially you'd separate it all out, right? You'd make a big mess, try to do that. And they would do it outside. It's a little bit better than inside, as you can see. Um, 
And then they would just wait for the wind to come. And the wind would blow away the chaff, right? And what's left are the berries, right? The thing that you make flour out of, bread comes from. It's the part that you want. But the chaff is, it's everything else. It's the worthless stuff. Nobody wants the chaff. The chaff, I mean, it's necessary for for growing the stock, I guess, but it's separated out and it just blows away in the wind. That's how the farmers would do it, right? It would just just be taken away and left in that basket would be a, a pile of little berries, the part that's desired. And given the comparison, and if these are really just the two things that are offered to us, then the option's pretty easy to figure out, isn't it? Be the tree! I mean, don't you want to be the tree? Ask yourself, where is your fruit? I mean, do, you, do you flourish like a tree, or is there really just, you know, not much there at all, as you think about it? And by fruit, I mean, where, where are you different as a follower of Jesus? I mean, what, what can you point to in your life that says, here I'm different? Not because you're great, but because of what he has done, because you follow this great master. What can you, what can you say? How do you love others? How do you, how do you serve? How do you fight temptation or, or think about the world or, or stop thinking about yourself for a little while? You might think that you're a tree, but as you look at the fruitfulness in your life, you might realize you have a little bit more common and chaff than you care to admit. And if that's the case, you'd better change soils. Because this life on this path down here, it gets even uglier. Because as the psalmist continues, it ends in death and judgment, essentially. It says that the wicked, they perish. They and their way. And they're not, they're not just dead. It talks about the judgment that they experience. And the contrast, though, it says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's a picture of God watching us, caring for us, and that in him knowing us for who we truly are, we flourish, we endure. So think of it, I kind of think of it as a a cloud, right? Like a sun shining down upon the tree, giving us what we need to endure for the long haul, to continue on in what we need. And we, we see that, right? We see this last part in this last Stanza. I want to I read it again, but I want you to read it aloud with me this time. All of Psalm 1. Um, so let's, let's read this together. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Sort of a bleak picture there at the end, isn't it? Well, bleak for some of them. 
It says the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They, they will not make it into the gathering of the righteous. The way of the wicked, again, both the, both the path themselves and they themselves will perish. In Proverbs, it says that there's a way that seems right to a man. We all know that, right? There's a way that always seems right to us. But in the end, it's the way of death. If this is your life, death and judgment are coming. But a tree endures. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. I mean, again, it's the idea of, of watching over, of caring, protecting, like the sun shining down on the tree. Hebrew poetry often uses a thing called parallelism. You know, in Western poetry, we, sometimes we associate rhyming, right? That's kind of our, our thing, I suppose. Uh, in Hebrew, they didn't rhyme very often. They, they focused much more on this idea of parallelism, which meant they would have two lines and they'd run parallel with one another, okay? So you'd say one thing and then you'd say something else. And there's different kinds. Some of them would be, you know, the same, like they'd say the same thing twice, but in different ways. Sometimes they'd be opposites. They'd say one thing and then say the exact opposite. Uh, and they, this was a frequent use in poetry. You'll notice this as you're, as you're reading this week in the, in the Psalms and when we get to Proverbs and on Ecclesiastes, all of it as well. But they use this. And Psalm 1 is full of these opposite parallel lines, right? These images, these ideas. And a great example is that last verse. It says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That's line one, right? He knows the way of the opposite of the, of the righteous, but the opposite. But the way of the wicked will perish. And knowing that this is parallelism here, it helps us understand what it means for God to know our path. That's, that's why I'm pointing this out. It's not that he just knows us, right? Not that he just sees. It's not merely that. It's that the opposite of him knowing us is that we perish. So there's a sense that by God knowing us, it's his, he's pouring out a provision. It's, it's the life-giving everything that, 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 that he gives us, that he bestows upon us to instill life and flourishing. So where are you headed? Are you living with the end in mind? And we're all going to die, right? We know that. I mean, I try to forget that most days. try to ignore it as best as I can. I mean, sometimes still when I stop and actually think about it, I'm going to die one day. It's almost like, really? (laughs) But I guess so, right? Every one of us. Are you living with the end in mind? What will you be remembered for? What will your kids, what will their memories of you be? What will you accomplish? What will be your regrets? Will you endure? And while these questions are, are all so important, right, as we've been reflecting sort of introspectively through this text, it'd be so important for us to think through this and to understand both the joys of the one way, right, and the, the sober warning of the other, and yet the hard truth of it is not one of us lives this path like we should. Not, not one of us walks this out. In fact, there's, there's not been a single person in the history of the human race who has walked this path except for one, Right? Only one person has actually lived this life and lived it perfectly. And the ironic thing is that he's the one who took up his tree, right? So that we could be the tree that we were created to be. He's the one who who took our place, who takes our place down here because this is our default, right? This is where we go. We gravitate towards him, but he took our place. And he, he died for our guilt, for all of our sins, for everything we've ever done wrong or not done right, right? Whatever, whatever, whatever mistakes. 
And he rose again to offer us life, to give us an opportunity to take this path. And now we actually can live it. I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing. that Because of Jesus, because of what he has done for us, this isn't just some pretend thing, because I know how badly we want this, right? Because I want this. I want to be like a tree. I want to flourish. I want my life to be satisfying and meaningful and beautiful and strong and enduring. We, we long for that. Because of Jesus, this isn't just a pipe dream. It's not just an empty promise that the psalmist gives us, that, hey, good luck. No, Jesus, he, he is the one who now, because of the Spirit, writes his law in our hearts. So we don't just have the book, we need the book, but it's also in here. And he is the streams, right, of living water that our soul truly thirsts for, that, that fills us continually with his presence. And he is our righteous judge, always looking down upon us. And think about that for a moment, because look around. You know, sorry you're a bunch of trees, Right? We're not that impressive of a forest, are we? And yet when God looks down on us because of Jesus, he sees a beautiful forest here in our midst with Jesus as the tallest tree. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Despite our failures, despite our regrets, despite the way we continually gravitate towards death, He looks down upon us with love and goodness and sees us as his tree. That's that's who we are, church. We're a forest. All of us young and old, some of us tall trees, others just saplings, but here we are making up this forest for the praise of God's glory. I I love what God says in Isaiah. He calls his restored people. He calls us oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And what a beautiful forest we are. Loved and redeemed by the God who made us. Happy are we. Live this life. Follow this Jesus. And be the tree.